says tech can't be human? Growing a business is really hard. And that's not unexpected. It's just once you feel that, you're like, man, it really is hard. And the reason it is hard is because it takes sustained discipline, patience, and consistency. And you have to consistently put other people's interests ahead of your own. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. We've brought in a special guest this episode into the Hacker Valley studio. Our guest today is Christian Hyatt. Christian is the CEO and co-founder of Risk 360. He's passionate about building amazing companies, cybersecurity, and privacy. Christian, it's a pleasure and an honor to speak to you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure. Outstanding. We were talking to folks on LinkedIn. And we said, hey, you know, we need to invite more people onto the podcast. And we said, who should we talk to? And someone nominated you. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Yeah. So as you guys mentioned, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Risk360. What we do is we help build, assess, and then help companies get certified. We mostly work with high growth tech companies work with companies all across the U.S. and some globally, helping them build out cybersecurity and privacy programs. Outstanding. So when you got started in this crazy field of cybersecurity, what was it about this field that really enticed you and caused you to become an entrepreneur in it? I always say this. I'm very blessed to be in the cybersecurity field. I've learned to love it over time, but I am absolutely not the person who is fascinated with cybersecurity or even IT long before starting a business. I graduated college looking for a job. This was back in the, the recession period. And I wanted to be a consultant like many young college grads. I didn't know what a consultant meant. So I got hired at a big consulting company. And this is kind of as cybersecurity was becoming a thing. They put me on a couple of engagements. And after being successful on a couple of those, I became the cybersecurity person. So they started to staff me on engagements and cybersecurity. But what I really wanted to do the whole time was start a business. And I always make the joke, I didn't care if the business was a taco stand or a coffee shop or a <laughs> restaurant. It didn't matter to me. I just wanted to start a business. I learned that cybersecurity was an emerging industry. It was very interesting. I felt like I was making a big impact. I saw kind of the convergence of cybersecurity and privacy coming to a head. Then I took an opportunity to do an MBA as an inflection point for me to like kind of decide if I was going to take a partner route at a big public accounting firm or start a business. And I learned through the course of doing that MBA that, you know, I wanted to take the risk, start a business and do that. And the right place to do that for me was this huge phenomenon that has formed cybersecurity. So I made the leap, got one client, 
got two clients, got three clients, started hiring people, trying to do really good quality work. And then ultimately we built a business out of it. I'm just very fortunate, I think, to be in the right time and place where we're such an important thing, something you could start a business out of. Love that. I would love to hear some of your journey. Maybe this is like your founders of founding journey, right? The journey for you to really discover that you wanted to become an entrepreneur. I feel like in cybersecurity, there's a lot of people in the industry that want to be technical. They want to know everything. They want to be able to secure or break all the things. But for you, it's a bit different. It's about building companies. So where did that begin for you? Yeah. I don't know where the origin came from. I've kind of tried to self-examine, like, why does Christian Hyatt want to start a business? And uh, <laughs> my dad and granddad, they owned landscaping businesses. They were manual laborers. Like one of my passions today, when I go home, I maintain my whole yard. But upon reflection, I think it's like seeing them start a business, build something, even though it wasn't big, they built something. And then that kind of resonated with me. And then growing up and then also through college and even in my consulting career, for some reason, my natural orientation was kind of business problem based. So I saw how cybersecurity, for example, was a business blocker for many organizations. So like, for example, a lot of our high growth tech companies can't do business with the big companies unless they can speak to cybersecurity and they need certifications to be able to access those markets. So that was an interesting business phenomenon to me. I saw how security breaches were negatively impacting businesses. That was interesting. And I saw how security and privacy was impacting society and the way we think and data harvesting and things like that. All that was very interesting to me. And then along the way, what I learned about myself is I, I really love building teams. So when we built Risk 360, we were really culture oriented. Even from the early days, we were thinking about like scaling a business, career plans, coaching plans, culture kind of stuff, mission, vision, values types of things. And that stuff really energized me probably from like a long history of playing sports and things like that. So I think all of that stuff kind of converged for me and resulted in a business. And then we kind of limped along and did things off instinct that turned out to be correct to build a business around it. My business partner is also named Christian, coincidentally. <laughs> I feel like super fortunate to have met him. He's a West Point grad, just a stand-up guy, great business mind. And the way I met him was actually the first day of our MBA program. He was sitting in the front row. His name tag said Christian. And I thought, wow, that's a really easy icebreaker. I'll go sit next to the other guy named Christian. And then, you know, months later, we're still sitting by each other talking about how we're going to start this business. <laughs> we were one of the only two people out of the MBA program that started a business. It's just like a little bit of luck along the way, too. So that's kind of how I got here, I guess. That's incredible. When you talk about building teams, I mean, that's such an important facet of being an entrepreneur, being a leader. When you started building your own teams, what were some of the lessons that you pulled from sports or some of the other situations that you found yourself in in your life? Yeah, I mean, building teams. So I read a couple books early on in the entrepreneurial journey. And it's kind of weird when you start a business, certain things you read just hit differently because they're so applicable to what you're trying to do in the moment. And two of the books that I read that really informed the way I think around team building is a book called Scaling Up by a guy named Vern Harnish and another book called Traction by Gino Wickman. Both of these books are kind of like building a business 101 type books and, and they put in place models. And at the top of both of those books lists were people, that you want the right people to help you build a business that you want the right people in the right seats to make sure they're in the right roles to help you build that business. So that's something that I took to heart as we were hiring our first employees. So we put together this model that Gino Wickman recommends in his book. 
It's called GWC core values. And what that stands for is, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do the work? And do they align to the core values? And we have five core values. And so we created this system that everybody that we interviewed had to score a minimum of 16. They have to do a case study, and then they have to pass the GWC core values test. So that was one thing, just getting the right people in the door that aligned with the vision, had the right skill set, had the right attitude to help build the business. And then one of our core values is craftsmanship. And we said, how do we get these fantastic people in the building and then turn them into master craftsmen when it comes to cybersecurity? So then we created a coaching program and we call it the Journeyman Apprenticeship and Craftsman Program. And at the end of the Craftsman Program, if you finish the whole curriculum, you get a custom leather apron. And we just said, hey, what does it take to become awesome at your job? And then that one-on-one touch where you're coaching people, trying to develop them, investing in them. And it turns out if you get the right people in the door, you invest in them, you coach with them, you develop relationships, they're going to serve your clients like no one else is going to do it. They're going to be part of that mission. They're going to want to serve. And then you do great work. And then it turns out if you do great work, well, you get more clients. So there's literally nothing fancy into how we've grown the business. It's just really investing in people, the people delivering great work. And then clients want to do business with you because of that. And that's worked for us so far. Some of the things that you don't really get to hear about is the negative side of growing a business. Maybe not even the negative, but the side effects, the consequences that may surface. You know, sometimes you'll hear terms like a bad apple will ruin the bunch. And, you know, this Mm -hmm. is in the perspective of technology or people or processes, you know, one of those elements, just making it a very uncomfortable place to work. Throughout your experience, you know, your founder's journey and building this company for years now, have you seen any of that happen and any stories that you can share there? Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I have learned is that growing a business is really hard. And that's not unexpected. It's just once you feel that, you're like, man, it really is hard. And the reason it is hard is because it takes sustained discipline, patience, and consistency. And you have to consistently put other people's interests ahead of your own. And I think a lot of people think when they start a business, they're going to get success like immediately. That first year is going to be a huge year. And for us, we've had success along the way, but it's been very incremental. And it's just required us to maintain discipline over a long period of time. I always make the joke to the team. I'm like, hey, success is easy. You just have to do the right thing forever and you'll be successful. And that level of discipline is just really hard. You can't really take a day off. You have to give people your time, even if you're not feeling it that day. That's the personal stuff. And then when it comes to the team at large, some of the things that you don't see is it all comes back to people. You kind of gave the analogy, one bad apple ruins the whole bunch, but That is true. It's absolutely all about people. It's getting the right people, doing the right jobs. It's everybody's in a constant stretch position. So you're trying to help people fail successfully. So give them at-bats where they might fail, but it's going to help them grow, help them groom and coach them. So it's always in the business books, like focus on people, people first. But absolutely, if you're trying to grow a business, it is 100% all about the people. And if you get that right, a lot of other things will fall into place. Security controls fail everywhere. They fail constantly, and worst of all, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the leading automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, and real security outcomes. Get it all with Attack IQ. 
Plus, check out the Attack IQ Academy for free cybersecurity training featuring the good people here at Hacker Valley Studio. Register today at academy.attackiq.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. It's all about the people and everything else will fall into place. I, I think you're absolutely right because when you get the right people in place, that's when people start building the right processes. You start bringing in the right technologies. But if you try to do it the other way, you bring in the best technology and you have the best processes, but you don't have the right people, it's kind of for naught, right? You did all that work for almost nothing. 100%. But when it comes to looking for people with strength, looking for diversity of thought, what are some of your tenants for, for finding some of those folks? That was actually a struggle for us early on, because early on, you, people want to work with people who are just like them. So they're really aggressive. They have common backgrounds. They maybe all played sports, whatever that might be. For me, what I found is like, if you look at our clients, they're extremely diverse. We have people of color, we have females, we have people at big companies, small companies. So to build a successful company, you need people that can empathize and understand and have different perspectives as your clients. So one of the things that we did was do just that. We recruit from a diverse pool. So for example, here in Atlanta, there's like really great historically black colleges and universities. So we, we make a conscious effort to recruit out of there. Our head of HR is in women in technology here in Atlanta. We recruit off of the big campuses here in Atlanta, UGA and Georgia Tech. We're really conscientious about finding people of diverse backgrounds, but even more importantly, or at least as important as diversity in thought. That's super important. And that was kind of a blind spot for me walking in the door. I just, it wasn't on my radar that we needed to do that. But over time, it kind of manifested itself that we needed leaders with different empathy levels, different backgrounds and experience, people who came from industry, people who are lifetime consultants. And I think that just builds a well-rounded team. So I agree, very important for us. Let's talk a little bit about that diversity of thought. Right before we hit record on this episode, we were talking about potential subjects that would be really fun to dig deeper in. And we were uh -huh. speaking about crypto and many other things. Me and Chris are a huge fan of crypto and cryptocurrencies, NFTs. What areas are you digging deep into now? What is piquing your interest? Okay, so the crypto thing. So I don't personally invest in crypto. What interests me is less the financials of it. I, I get why that's interesting. Like it's cool to watch the market swings and to be part of the game. And, and I think all of that's important. There's some guys on my team that's really into that aspect. And whenever I say that, they tell me all the reasons why I'm wrong about that way of thinking. But what interests me a lot about blockchain tech, crypto decentralization is that that opens the avenue and it potentially solves some problems for some of our current problems we have today. So here's some of the problems that exist today. So one, you think about things like social media or cloud services or anything that's a central hub for communication or technology. The downside of central hubs like social media, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whoever owns all of that property, it's centralized. All of your data belongs to them. From a privacy perspective, you have to, for example, request your data to be deleted. You don't have a ton of control about how that data can be used necessarily. You're relying on either them being ethical or regulatory enforcement for your data to be protected. If there's a data breach, all of that data is exfiltrated. You just don't have a lot of control as a consumer. Similarly, with cloud technology or cloud platforms, everyone's on AWS, Azure, or GCP if you're in the cloud. Largely, those are the big providers. But if they go down, like we've seen AWS have a couple of hiccups. I remember Slack was down a while back or some other service provider has issues. There's just a lot at stake 
and you're giving a lot of control over to those entities in a centralized format. That's not necessarily a problem, but it could be a problem. What is interesting is that decentralized technology is presenting an avenue to solve some of those issues. So for example, if you think about like social media, for example, there are currently technologies in place for decentralized social media. So there's something called Mastodon, where you can spin up your own instance of a social media site and you can federate to others. So theoretically, every company or even every person could have their own social media site where they control all of their data and then they federate to anybody they want to talk to. So that model gives the individual a lot of power in terms of how they want their data used and if they want to retract that data from the masses. There's also uh, decentralized data center services. There's a company called Protocol Labs that allows you to give up some of your local compute resources on your laptop and they incent you because you can mine some of their coin, but they've essentially created a decentralized version of cloud data storage. And that solves a lot of problems in terms of computing power, available resources, that kind of thing. So that stuff excites me. I see people coming up with new and innovative ways to use decentralized technology, blockchain, crypto. And I think that's going to have big impacts to the security and privacy world. So when you think about things like Web3 and the role that different technologies are going to play in the future and even in, in cybersecurity, what are some of the things that you are excited about when it comes to this technology? We obviously know this decentralized, but are you already thinking about applications? And is there a play for your company to do something in that arena? Possibly. We already do like pen test and security assessments for decentralized or crypto kind of based companies. A lot of the pillars of information security are, are not that different when it comes to helping those companies become secure. But there is some interesting cutting edge tech, like, for example, cryptography, some of that. You're seeing some companies come up with some innovative ways to use cryptography. One of the more interesting things that I've seen a company use, and this doesn't have mass adoption, but I've seen them use crypto and blockchain for identity and access management, where basically you have, you know, instead of logging into a server based on certain credentials, you could use blockchain and crypto to log in and bulletproof your access. I've seen some of that. So I think a lot of things when it comes to identity, maybe cryptography, probably access, the way data is accessed and where, we might see some evolutions of security there. But I think we're pretty early in this journey, so I can't even dream of how else people might be using crypto to do that. So I got to ask, as a founder, as a CEO of your cybersecurity company, are you able to get your hands dirty? That's been one of my things as a practitioner or technologist is really having my hands on the tech. And I feel like sometimes it's hard to do that as a CEO or even a founder. Where are you at with that today? I'm losing it. That's for sure. I'm <laughs> definitely not, not as hands-on as I used to be. There was a time where I did a huge chunk of the security assessments. I was on walkthroughs with clients. I was doing the assessment work myself, but that quickly evolved. I'm definitely more company building now, a more client relationship. But what that does afford me the opportunity to do is to think more macro. So for example, at Risk360, we use this platform called Phalanx. It's a platform that we have built in-house to do all of our security assessment work. So one of the things I have access to is all the security assessment findings that we've ever put in the platform. So every year, I'm working on this right now, so it's top of mind, I'll do a dump of all the assessment results that we have done, categorize them, and I can kind of look at themes. And at this point, we've done over a thousand assessments. So that's really interesting. I can say, all right, what's the trajectory? Is this year's data different from last year's data? Are there themes? Is there something different from a first-year company versus a three-year company? 
Is there like some new phenomena that's happening that's presenting a risk to organizations? So I can start thinking about thematic type stuff. What's the direction of the industry going? Is it the same security hygiene type stuff? The other thing I get to do is talk to a lot of security executives. So I get to hear directly from them. What challenges are they having? What's their plan to mature the security organization? And also, where does security fit in in terms of overall business objective alignment? So why has the organization chose to invest in cybersecurity and what is it helping them do? So some of those things are really cool. So I get some of the why behind the what. So although I'm a little more hands off, some of that macro stuff is equally interesting to me and kind of flexing a new muscle. What were some of the biggest learnings from a a macro perspective that you've been able to glean? Like what is a really interesting trend that you're like, wow, I really didn't expect that one. Hmm. This probably isn't surprising, but the number one finding for the last couple of years, the thing that really drives a security program has been leadership and governance. That's totally like the non-tech thing. It's not sexy, but what we have found, like the number one trend is if an organization has a really good leader at the helm, we call it a security team operating system, meaning that they have a system in place to manage their security team that looks like mission, core values, meeting cadences, KPIs, goals, scorecarding. There's like a few things they have in place. They run a really tight ship. That is pretty much the number one thing that predicts security team success for that organization. So it's kind of interesting. You can walk into an organization and if they don't have a leader at the helm, they don't have a security team operating system, they're a little bit dysfunctional. I kind of know already that I'm going to see some problems in there. But if I walk into an organization and they really have a tight ship, it's a strong culture, great leader at the helm, I can predict that they're probably going to have a tight ship no matter what tech stack they're in, no matter what industry. And after I saw that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you have good people, they're going to have a good program. But seeing it in the data, see our assessors go in time after time, note those findings and look at the overall state of the program, the objectives they achieve or didn't achieve, and it comes down to people, it just reinforces like that people thing we were talking about before. But you can pretty much like clockwork, predict the success of an organization's security program based on their leadership and governance structure and, that, and how well that team's operating. I found that pretty reaffirming, but also interesting. What are some of those leadership perspectives that folks should be thinking about? What are the most important characteristics that you're finding for folks that are leading really healthy teams? Yep. I use the word security team operating system. So that's something when we come in as a VCISO, we're helping build out a security program. It's a set of non-technical things we do to help put in a really effective team in place. You can read all the security certifications. You can read anything from like SysUp, system, you know, name your certification. And one thing that is missing from the body of knowledge of information security is how a leader is supposed to lead a team. Like, what do you do when you walk into a team? Like, what are your meeting cadences? Do you do one-on-ones? Do you meet weekly? Do you meet quarterly? Do you meet monthly? How do you do goal setting and scorecarding? How do you hire people? How do you put together a security team budget? So what we did is we said, all right, what does a great team do? We chalked it up to five things. Number one thing that a great team does is they define a purpose and a mission. And that sounds very philosophical and soft and mushy. But if you look at all the great security teams that we've worked on, any that I've researched, they have set a mission for that team that they can go after. And that's usually aligned with the business objective. It might be about protecting data. It might be about customer trust, whatever it is that makes sense for that business. They've set a mission that that team can rally around. The second thing that they have done is they've established a set of core values. 
typically the core values either align to the company or they've made up their own core values as a subculture at the security team. And that's important because it sets the tone. It tells them what's acceptable behavior as a security team and what standard are we going to hold ourselves to. The next thing they do is a great set of meeting cadences. So that might be weekly one-on-ones. They have a weekly team meeting. Maybe they're doing quarterly information risk council meetings, annual strategy meetings, whatever that is. They have a meeting cadence that becomes the pulse of that business. And the last thing they do is they're really good at setting goals, KPIs, and scorecarding. So, you know, what do you want to accomplish? When do you want to accomplish? And how do we know that we've succeeded? And some really good ones I've seen have somewhat gamified that, where you know quarterly objectives are attached to bonuses or scoreboarding or going to do a special event. And that is an ecosystem that is not at all something that would be taught to you from a professional or technical perspective that I've realized is absolutely essential for any really strong team to operate. So when we walk into an organization and we try to help them build something out, yes, we care about all the foundational security principles, but some of that secret sauce is helping them build a really well-oiled team in the context of security. And I think that's been very effective. Outstanding. I think you ran the gambit just now. That was really, really enlightening for a lot of leaders out there to really understand how do I be as impactful as possible, whether you're talking about someone that's a midline manager, you know, leading a function or someone that's leading an entire security program. There's somebody that's listening and they're like, wow, this is really, really insightful and really helpful for me. And you have a captive audience. What is that thing that you would love to just double click on that would be really impactful for everyone out there? It's building teams. One of the things we try to do at Risk360, we produce a huge amount of free thought leadership. So if people are looking for other resources, things to think about to help build out this stuff, the security team operating system that I just laid out, you can go to Risk, you can go to YouTube, look up Risk360. I literally have a whole video where we, we lay out all of this stuff. We also have white papers on that same stuff. So if people are want to know how to do this, the tactics behind doing that, it's absolutely free. You can go to Risk360's website, check out our resources or go to our YouTube video. And we put all this content out for free. It's just a way we try to give back and, and hopefully encourage people to build out a program kind of like what I'm talking about. Outstanding. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule, Christian, to hop on the mics with us. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things you're doing in cybersecurity, where are the best ways for people to do that? Yep. You can check me out on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Just look up Christian Hyatt on LinkedIn and connect with me or follow me. Or you can check us out at Risk360. It's Risk360.com. Yes, check out Christian. Stay up to date. We've dropped your website and social in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you, Christian. Really appreciate the time. And with that, we'll see everybody next time. Thanks so much. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.